0: Thank you. We are so blessed to be here. And I really had such a strong sense that God has been working and speaking. And even just this morning at the eight o'clock service, just a few prayers and people that brought words and it was just really conveying God's father heart and calling us back. And yeah, none of this was orchestrated by us. Um I can say it also because the kind of week I had, I finished preparing last night at the church and but God has just tied it so beautifully together. So it doesn't come from man's mouth or heart, but from God's. And we've been doing a series in the book of John. And John 20 um, really sums up, there's a verse, John 20 verse 31, that really sums up the purpose of this book um, for believers. And a lot of the verses and the scriptures that are mentioned in John are there for believers to strengthen the church. And John 20 sums up so beautifully what what this book is about. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this isn't a passive belief. Sadly, we have corrupted the word belief because we believe in a lot Head knowledge, but it doesn't go deeper. The calling here is to go deeper. The belief that we're talking about is opening a door to life when you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you step into that relationship. But we're going to be looking today at John chapter 5 and really who are we putting our faith in? Who are we being called to believe in and looking at the uniqueness of Christ and what he says about himself and, um, in, in those days, just as today, there were many imposters around, people claiming to be Christ, people claiming to be a prophet. And, um, even these days, I don't know if you've been watching the Theranos case, it's, it was mind-blowing how this lady, Elizabeth Holmes, managed to get 1.3 billion dollars in investment, um, for this company where she claimed that with a small little bit of blood, this kind of size of a rice grain, that they could run a battery of tests for you know, 90% less than than any other company and do it all in one shot and you could drop it off at, I think it was one of the local Walmart or one of those. The board that she had, the people that she was accountable to and speaking to about this included Henry Kissinger, George Shultz, both of them were former United States Secretaries of State. Um, William Perry, he was a former Secretary of Defense and another guy, William, who was the former director of Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Sadly, what happened, her world came crashing in. She had set up the the labs. She had invited people on tours through. She had drawn on money and finance of people that had um, complete trust in her and was convinced she could do what she did, could, what she claimed she did. But it all came crashing down. The difference with Jesus is that his claims were maintained, and he was faithful to them, and he it was proven over and over again. And we know that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, everyone will recognize that Jesus is Lord. But as we went through Easter last weekend, we looked at the claims, and we see what Jesus said, and that not even the grave, not even death could hold him back. And so that is what we're going to be looking at today is just what Jesus was doing and how he he once again revealed himself as God come down. And John chapter 5 got me excited. I love clever little things that help me remember other things. And I looked at all these headings and I went, wow, this is a perfect hat trick because the H, he does a healing then he speaks about his authority and then he goes into the testimonies about who he is so three perfect things to remind you of who he was and who he says he was so now you'll never forget it either but basically we're not going to be looking too much at the first part which is the healing um because we're going to be just focusing on the on the final verses but before that I just want to to focus a little bit, and and if you know the story, it's the healing at Bethesda. It is when this man has been lame his whole life. He's been wanting to get into the water every time it stirs, and we're not sure exactly how it worked, but it might have just been, you know, thermal healing waters that, that might have helped. He tried to get into the water, and he couldn't. The human systems of healing had failed him. He could not get in to the water fast enough. He couldn't do what he humanly could to get in and get the help he needed. And Jesus comes into that situation and he perfectly ministers to this man. And we see there how Jesus with his humanity and his God being completely both, he comes in, but there's a problem with the situation. And the problem is that it's a Sabbath. And there are laws that are running the world at that point. There are laws that are, would restrict them from doing anything on the Sabbath, including healing someone. And so you see that Jesus doesn't say, you know, just wait a minute. It's a Sabbath. I'm not going to heal you. Straight away, he says to this man, get up, take your bed and walk. And this man rejoices, a man who couldn't walk. He can now walk. He has been miraculously healed. But all the leaders can see in that moment is they were just fixating on, but it was the Sabbath. And the man's like, but I was healed. And they're going, but it's the Sabbath. I don't know if you've ever had a debate with someone like that where you know you're not going to get through. You're like, two plus two is four. It's six. Two plus two is four. Can you not see here? One, two, three, four. And they're going, at six. You just know sometimes you're not going to get through. And that is what was happening in that moment. There was no focus on what he had done, the miraculous power, the healing power. They were just obsessed with the law that he had broken. But the law falls under Jesus. Jesus doesn't fall under the law. Matthew Matthew 4 verse 4 says, Man shall not live on bread alone. That would have been everything that was happening, human provision but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there we see God's abundant provision. In that situation, the man picked up his mat and he walked. And that is the God that we serve. And if you look at where Jesus was performing all these miracles, you see him at a wedding feast. And it was that public um, people noted when he turned the water into wine. When he cleared the temple, he was going into the temple and he was speaking into what was happening and what was grieving God's heart. We see him have a conversation with Nicodemus on what it means to have this eternal life, what he's calling him to. You see Jesus going to the Samaritan woman, the, the, the sinner who he shouldn't have been speaking to. There were no boundaries in the message he was given. And Jesus in this moment was in a contentious situation because it's the Sabbath. And in these next few chapters, chapter 5 to 10, you're going to see Jesus ministering in different spaces. It was going to be Passover, Feast of Tabernacles. And he's coming in and he's not operating within all these boundaries that everyone is used to. And for some, they, they focus on the fact that Jesus was so contentious. I don't know if you've ever heard people talk about that, and it's almost like it attracts the rebel in people. But it wasn't about that. What Jesus was still doing, it still was the man that mattered in that moment, a man who couldn't walk. And so although he didn't stick to the religious boundaries, he still was ministering healing and life. And it was an offense to them. If you see in this moment that Jesus is gaining in in 18, about 18 months time, he's going to be crucified. He's going to be put on the cross. He's going to be nailed to the cross because what he is doing is fueling hatred in people. It's fueling this reason for people not to believe. And the strange thing is that in this chapter, it gives me even more reason to believe. But for others, it was an offense. Not everyone that hears the word of God will put their belief. Hearing doesn't equal believing. And we're going to see that that just now. But as we move on from the healing, I want to ask you a question. We see here that that Jesus didn't fit into the religious box of those days. And what I realized as I prepared is that we all have a religious box that isn't necessarily biblical. It's not necessarily from God, but it's a how in my humanity I feel God should work. And where is your box putting God? Have you put him in a box like they did where they went, Jesus is healed, but it's on the Sabbath, and all they can see is the Sabbath? And we can fixate on those ways of how we believe God is working, and it's not to his glory. And then this problem that they had with Jesus gave rise to another conversation, because Jesus doesn't back down. And for me, this is also a lesson in boldness. If you think about Jesus and his humanity, he still had to speak up. He still had to face people's aggression. It must have been... I don't know, intimidating. I'm not sure how he felt in his inner world, but we don't see him backing down. We see him standing up. But now we're going to be looking at the, from John 5 verse 16, the authority that he carries. And authority is an important thing. You need to know that who you're listening to is an authority. If you sign up to study at university and you're studying one thing and someone comes and lectures you and claims they're an authority and you realize that they're not, they're just faking it. That is not a good thing. You're not going to believe them. We've also put our authority sometimes in badges and uniforms. And that's what was happening in those days. If you were, you know, a card carrying member of the Sanhedrin, if you were this Jewish elite, you had the right to tell other people what to do. So Jesus comes with a message of love and truth and peace. And they are the authorities, and they're saying it doesn't fit the box. I was thinking about a while back. I was teaching my son. It was actually a few years ago when when I'd taken him to the shops for the first time. And I thought, well, I need to start teaching him in the shops what happens if he gets lost. And so I decided, okay, the best person to go to, I said, at the door, you will always see someone in a uniform. And in their uniform, you can go to that person, and you can trust them. Sadly, the next week in the news, I'm just trying to see if there are any kids here. I don't know. In the news, there's someone in a uniform that does something terrible in the shops, so I'm like, okay, here we go again, week two, take my son to the shop again, and then I say to him, how do we know who's going to care for us? Okay, what about a mommy who's got a little child that they're looking after? That mommy would probably love you the same, a kind mommy, look for a kind mommy. That is the difference, is that the authority, the person that's really going to save you, the one that's going to protect you and look after you, is the one that will love you and care for you, not necessarily the one wearing the uniform. And this is something that they could not grasp in that day. If we, if we read from John 5, verse 16, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. So you see that even before we think of, of kind of the, the road to the cross as a time when Jesus was persecuted, it actually was happening throughout his ministry that he was getting persecuted. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his, at the, his work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Now, for, for, for a Jewish person, saying God was their father wasn't highly offensive. But when he's talking about God is my father, equal father, the one I'm watching, my father, that was the huge offense there. In verse 19, Jesus gave them the answer, this answer, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and we shall show, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. So you see this authority that Jesus had because of his heavenly father and that's, that is where it gets from and, and for, for us it means yes he was equal to god i think of that verse from philippians 2 where it says he didn't consider equality with god something to be grasped but in the in the bible it's a very natural thing that jesus is god and he didn't hold on to it he came and he humbled himself but he was still god but for them that was the nail in the coffin what he was saying now was so incredibly offensive that it makes them even more angry and he says, though, in verse um, verse 19, and you know whenever Jesus says, when the Bible says, very truly, though it's usually like an emphasis point. And Jesus says to them in verse 19, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Instead of backing down, he gives them uh, an illustration of of apprenticeship. And in those days, they would have been very familiar with it. Jesus' father, earthly father, was a carpenter. That would have been an apprenticeship. He would have trained people. That's how knowledge got passed down. People would stay closely with their teacher, if it was medicine, if it was whatever, learning to build. And so they would have known this image. And that's how intimately Jesus was with the father. He was learning from the father. He was watching and seeing. That is what he was about. So he's claiming to them, I am doing God's work. I am watching what God does. He's show me what to do, and I'm his agent. And so that is where his authority was coming from. Another place his authority was coming from was from his divine work. In verse 21, we see, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So think about it. Jesus, with the authority of his Father, God come down, is standing in front of these people saying, hey, I'm offering eternal life. Imagine if the way you became a Christian was Jesus in front of you, giving you eternal life. It would be amazing. He's offering it to them, and it means absolutely nothing. But we see that Jesus has the authority to do divine work. So not just the unity of the Father, but his authority also comes from the divine work that he is doing. And then he also... Has the authority to judge. We see this in verse 22 to 30. Moreover, the father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honor the son. So he's given it, he's delegated it for the reason that people can give that honor to him. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Now, in these next verses, something that struck me when I was preparing is just how many times the word here is mentioned. Just pay attention to that. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned." By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And so you see there how how Jesus just, he's speaking about this importance of hearing. And if you think about hearing someone's voice, and how we take it for granted. When someone phones you and they don't really even need to say their name, you just know their voice because you are that familiar with them. You just hear the voice. In God's kingdom, hearing has value. That is why he's speaking about it. And ironically, he's speaking to a bunch of people that are completely deaf and not hearing. If you think about this relationship with hearing in John 10, Jesus speaks about being the good shepherd, just like sheep, when they when they know the shepherd is there. He says, as I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and they shall be one flock and one shepherd, It's never too late to say yes to the voice of God, like Phil just shared earlier. Romans 10, verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And in Revelation 3, verse 20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And interestingly enough, remember Revelation, that's to the church that they're speaking. There's value in hearing. The relationship that we have with God, it's not like Siri. If you've got Siri on your phone and you give an instruction and an automated response comes through. It's not about that, and so often that is what we boil faith down to. I just hear it, and we can harden our hearts because we come to church week in and week out, and you can become so used to just squashing the voice of God that it just becomes a hearing in one ear and out the other instead of a hearing, a vertical hearing. There was a great quote from a lady, Lee Ann Payne, who's written kind of some Christian books on on healing, uh, inner healing of emotions and that sort of thing, and she said this. True listening is obedient listening. To listen to God is to obey him. And too often we separate the two. So when we look at Jesus' authority in this situation, he had authority from the Father, he had authority in what he was doing, and he had authority in in just what he was saying. His words were carrying weight. And my question to you is what authority does God's voice and God's word really play in your life? Jesus, as he explained it, was, I I do what I see my father doing. I follow him closely, and I walk behind him. Can you describe your relationship with God as one of closely following? And then Jesus moves on to the T, the testimony of the hat trick. He moves on to the testimony, and he starts bringing forward some other people, some other things that can verify that he is who he says he is. In that day, it was important. It is If you go to court now, you can call witnesses. And in those days, you couldn't just go and claim you were someone. You could go and you could call in other witnesses, and that would verify the statement. So Jesus brings some witnesses in, but does the creator of the universe actually have to bring a witness in? No. He has the word of God. He's speaking the word of God. Jesus has come down, but he still chooses to engage. At the end of this, these people will have no excuse to have not responded to the voice of God because they have heard the truth. Verse 31, he says, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. But there's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. And then he calls on John the Baptist in verse 32, 33. He says, You have sent um, to John, and he has testified to the truth, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy the light. And he speaks about that you may be saved, showing that they still needed to be saved. And so he's talking about how, if you think about John, and how probably easily he was accepted, because it was after 400 years of silence, when we see that time in between when the Old Testament is, um, is concluded, and there's almost a silence, and all of a sudden this voice comes out and it's John and John is not the light he's the lamp that holds the light he's pointing them to Jesus but John is just a person if you see in the in the proclamation when when John says look the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world but later it's interesting because already now it appears that John probably was in prison when this was when Jesus was saying that they had already discarded John and that's the that's human frailty, that, that we can step into these relationships with God and hear these messages when life is going badly, when I've faced loss, when I'm facing hard times. Then all of a sudden this message can seem so beautiful, but actually when I'm out of that season, I, I throw it aside. And that's not to be done. That is not the message of salvation and life. And then later we see the frailty of it, Jesus doesn't highlight it at this point, but we see in Matthew chapter 11, John is in prison and he sends disciples to ask Jesus if he really is who he says he is. Jesus has to verify himself to John, not John to Jesus. Um, If you remember in, in Matthew 11, it says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. When we coming to, Jesus is really just calling John again, and all of us just to that faithfulness of, don't stumble on account of me. But you see there that, It wasn't up to John to prove that Jesus was true, but he still speaks their language. And then next he moves on to another witness, and that was his father, the works of his father and the word of his father. In verse 36, he says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the father has given me to finish. The very works that I'm doing testify that the father has sent me. And the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. And you think about Jesus, he knew what he was about. So from the time he's 12, if you know the account of when he gets lost and his parents find him and he says to them, he's in the temple and he says, I must be about my father's business. I must be about his works. That is, that was his task and what he was called to. At the end of his life, in his prayer, in John 17, he says, I've brought you glory um, on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And when Jesus was baptized, which was a public declaration, the voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He was doing the work of his father, and he calls that as part of his testimony. Then the next is the scriptures. Verse 39, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify me uh, about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? It was a sad state of affairs because what it was showing is you're fine with giving each other glory. You're fine with high-fiving each other, I guess just like our culture is, of giving the thumbs up and the likes and everything else that we need. But actually, when it comes to the truth from the Father, you're just not hearing it. And that was one of the problems here. Um, there's scriptural accounts and historical accounts of people that would claim they were coming as saviors. Acts chapter 5 speaks about two of those characters. And they would get people to follow them, 400 men, and they all got slaughtered. Um, and, and there were all these people because they, they just wanted the Savior they were looking for. And they weren't following the true Savior. And then after all of that, they're not listening. They're not listening to the Scriptures. There's a blindness there, and then he calls on Moses. And the Jewish folk would have loved Moses. They knew about Moses. And so verse 45, he says, But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, of whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you will you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say, and so he's just calling them to look at Moses and just going, "Look here, you're not even going to believe him." This is, I guess, he knows that they are completely deaf to what he is saying. He's not going to convince them by testimony. He's given them the whole account. If you look at it, and when I read it, I just go, isn't God wonderful? It reminds me of that verse that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And I think of John chapter 5, and I see a perfect account of heart. He just captures my heart as he heals someone who, who so desperately needed healing. My soul, as we speak about the authority and the weight he carries in my own life, and that's so challenging to me. And then my mind, as I see these beautiful testimonies, he is who he says he is. It makes me even more convinced. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12 explains it beautifully and challenges us. And this should sum up what our relationship with God is like. And I actually, I was joking with a friend, Edwina, yesterday, because we were talking about Bibles. She reminded me a while back about the Amplified Bible. And I said to her, the Amplified Bible is like having a friend that talks too much. It's great to hear them, but it's a lot to take in. And the best version was in the Amplified. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12 says this, This is why I suffer as I do. Still, I'm not ashamed, for I know him. And I'm personally personally acquainted with him, whom I've believed with absolute trust and confidence in him and in the truth of his deity. And I am persuaded beyond any doubt that he's able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day when I stand before him. And the question is, how would you describe your walk with God right now? Have you slipped into a religious one where it's easier to Google an answer and read a book than to go to your heavenly father? And as someone in this morning at the eight o'clock described, of just sitting on his lap. Is it easier for you to do things in your own strength than to be an apprentice, to be a follower of Christ who truly hears from the father, who has that beautiful, intimate relationship? John 1 explains what it should be like. And the status that we have when when we decide to follow Christ. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children, children of God. This is not a nice feeling or something that we enjoy. It's children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. What a privilege to be able to say you are born of God. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And sadly, I think too often we, we, we let everything that has happened in life And everything that has happened to us define our relationship more than that title that I carry and that position I now carry, child of God. You see, in this chapter, in John chapter 5, we have a perfect model of what our ministry should look like, too. As I followed Jesus, as he took instructions from his father and only went about his father's business, he did what he saw the father doing. And he perfectly replicated God. That is what we are called to do, too but I sadly take my cues from every other thing that holds me back, my hurts, my fear, my everything else. And as I was preparing, I almost had to, I went, not almost, I had to go back to God and repent or sometimes just feeling like the orphan and not like the adopted child that goes Abba Father. And so often in, in Christian circles, people love the word, you know, like an orphan spirit and there's some. Kind of crazy books, also written on it, but but actually it boils down to the fact that we forget who our father is. We forget, and too much, we are defined by by the things that have happened in our past, the pain, the rejection, and hard to tell if you really have that sort of if you're carrying that that orphan kind of relationship, it often comes through me feeling like I've got to convince God to do something. When I pray, I don't come with belief. I don't come as a child believing that what I'm asking for, he will answer and he will hear. I come feeling like I've got to earn my salvation, that I have to be religious about things, that I have to supply my own needs, that I'll come out of a lack that I'm, that I'm unlovable, that God can't actually forgive me. And we can see, and so sadly also, not just in, in my own relationship with God, but as I speak to other people, I see so many people carry this, not knowing that they're truly so loved by God. And he is not calling us to come to him as orphans. He's calling us to come as children. And If I can get the worship team up, we go into that song that we let, led into the preach, was just such a beautiful one. Just, Jesus, I believe in you. And that is the the cry of my heart today, is that we can step into that true belief. Maybe your heart has grown cold. Maybe your belief has become an in one ear and out the other. And if you feel in any way that your heart has become hard, if you feel like you've lost that joy of your salvation, that you don't define yourself as a child of God, I'm just going to pray for us now. And if you feel like you need prayer afterwards, say, Um, Some of our elders and prayer team that are here that will love to pray with you. Because this is a decision we don't want to harden our hearts. If you hear him calling you today, don't harden your heart. That will be the worst decision you ever make. But we come to him as children. And if you don't feel like you're truly God's child today, and there are probably many of us in the church that don't feel like that, I'm going to pray that God changes that today. We've had words about it. God has been calling. I really believe it, that he has. Just through the, through the worship, through everything, through the scriptures, through what was shared, God is really calling because you matter to him. You really, really matter to him. Lord, there were so many people who, who heard your message but didn't hear it. Lord, we don't want to be those people. We want the message of the gospel and our relationship with you to truly bring life. These things were written to everyone here in Connect Church that Jesus, um, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And through believing, you may have life. If you cannot describe your relationship with God as a relationship with life, as Abba Father, as a child of God... I pray that you will find that. Lord, won't you just come and break into our hearts? We don't want to live like orphans. We don't want to earn salvation, something we cannot earn. We want to have a relationship with you that is like a river river of living water that just flows out of us. We want to see what you are doing and follow you. We want to learn from you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you have a Father heart towards us, a pure Father heart. Teach us your ways, Lord. Holy Spirit, come fill us again, Lord. As we worship, as we declare you, Lord, come fill our hearts. Amen.